0: Stomping Jen. Sawtooth prank. How are you doing? I'm okay. It's good to see you over there.
1: <laughs> I was good to see you over there.
0: You're supposed to say it's good to be seen. That's what witty people say. I'm not witty. Now you're witty in your own way. Oh, thanks. Um, we have a guest on the show. Mm-hmm. Do you know who that guest is? Mm-hmm. Who is it?
1: Joshua Michael Stewart.
0: Yeah. Um, He's our friend, and he is also the author of the 2022 collection of poems, Love Something. Um, And he's adding that to his um, many other full-length collections of poetry, including Break Every String and The Bastard Children of Dharma Bums. Um, Josh, um, his work has been in uh, Massachusetts Review brilliant corners and rattle just to name a few places cool so he's a published poet yes right a real poet yes um, he's a
1: poet and he knows it
0: yes he does know it yes um, hopefully hopefully when we talk to him in a minute he's not going to be surprised by that <laughs> so um, yeah I'm excited to talk to Josh this is probably like his umpteenth time appearing on the show and he's always got something. New and interesting to offer.
1: Absolutely.
0: Because he's a, um, he's not a new person, but he's an interesting person. That's right. Right? So, But he does have new things to say, usually. Yes. Okay? Otherwise, we would just play his previous appearances. Yeah. Why would we do that?
1: No, we have to keep it current and right. timely.
0: But he's here, so... Let's um, go talk to him. Let's play the intro music, and we'll chat with him on the other side of that. What do you think? That sounds great. All right, here we go. <laughs> Soft serve podcast. Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. Stomping, Jen. We're at it again. Doing our thing. Call the soft serve podcast. What are you laughing at? I don't know. You you
1: have this little grin on your face.
0: Of course. I always have a grin. An impish smile, as they like to say. I just get excited to talk to you. To Some- me, yeah. Something happens. We turn oh my on, gosh. turn on these microphones, and I become a little child in a candy store, and you're my candy. Get over here. Let me lick you. Okay, that's enough. All right. Thank um, you very jo- much. Hi, Josh. Sorry for that. Um, that intro. I apologize. That, that
2: is that is fine. It's quite similar to many of your other intros. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh boy!
0: Yeah, um, but Our it, reputation it, precedes us. Yeah, it's really good to see you. Uh, thanks for joining us and, and coming to talk to us um, again. How have you been?
2: I have been good. I'm just doing my thing. Uh, thank you for having me yet again.
0: Always. Yeah, of course. And part of that part of that thing um, is getting out there talking about your new collection of poems, uh, Love Something. Um, yes. Yeah. So I wanted to. I wanted to start. Uh, maybe before I start hammering you with with questions about the book and poetry and all of that stuff, if you wanted to read um, a poem for us ahead of time, I had um, been perusing through the collection, and I I let you know that there were three that I was interested in hearing you read. So I sent those ahead of time, and um, I was thinking we could start maybe with quills if you're interested in reading that one.
2: Uh, Yes, sure. Okay, cool. Okay, this is Quills, and uh, this was originally published in the Massachusetts Review. Um, So here it is, Quills. Today a man pressed a pillow over his seventh-month-old son's face, then strangled the baby's mother, who was also his 16-year-old daughter. He called his mother, confessed, then drove out into the woods and shot himself in the cab of his pickup. A porcupine waddles through a field not far from my house. I've never fired around at anything, not glass or tin. But the summer after my mother loaded me on a plane to go live with my father, I spent nailing earthworms to two by fours, leaned along the backyard fence. Swacks echoed off the shed as morning haze ghosted through surrounding pines. The worms writhed as I pierced their skin, blood and shit smeared the boards. The crucified bodies dried and curled under the sun my parents both shared. The pain we receive, the little it takes to give it tenfold. I won't measure evil out of units of illness and despair. But while the porcupine munches on clover, I'll rest on a stone wall, allow the sun to burn my neck red, my hands finally at peace in my lap.
0: Ooh, a that- nice... A nice intro,
2: (laughs) nice to start off with.
0: (laughs) Oh man, yeah, that's intense. Um, Lots to unpack there. Well, I picked it for—I mean, I picked it because it was intense, right? And I think it is emblematic of some of your poetry, not all of it. um, Where there's this, there's this balance between um, brutality and beauty, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And as I heard you read that. Um, I picked up something that I don't think I got on the page when I was reading it. And it was uh, kind of the presence of the porcupine through the different sections of the poem. Um, And I'm like thinking, and I'm not asking you to confirm this, like I'm thinking in my mind about what that might represent um, as I hear you read it. And for me, like what I'm pulling out of that is the... um, it's like I was talking about just a second ago, like this this duality between uh, beauty and brutality. Like the porcupine is this incredibly um, beautiful little creature that you know likes to go about its business, but when it gets its ass up against the wall, right, it can be incredibly um, brutal and cause a lot of damage. And I love how um, I love how the different elements of piercing. Like flow mm-hmm. through the through the different parts of the poem. Um, I'm still I'm still processing it, <laughs> even after reading it a couple of times. Now, and hearing you read it, I'm pulling different things out of it, which is I think is pretty amazing for me. I don't know. What are your reactions to it, Jen?
1: What, like you said? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not good at analysis on
0: the no, fly. No, it's okay. I'm not, I'm just. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I'm not asking you to respond to any of my thoughts about it. Um, so I don't know, but if you wanted to, you could.
2: Well, um, I, you know, I, I, I when I wrote it, I can't say I really thought about, you know, the porcupine and, and all the piercing and everything. Maybe on a subconscious level, it was there because, right, you also got the piercing of the worms. Yeah. So that's yeah. part of it. Um, way it was constructed was, um, first of all, that whole beginning part unfortunately that's not fiction that's something that actually happened in Connecticut like right over the border from here and so I I either heard that on the radio like NPR or um read it somewhere I must have read it somewhere and so that was on my brain um I mean how could it not be after you hear it um Um, especially you, you would never think of that type of thing happening so close to home, you know, that happens somewhere else. And of course I I do my daily walks at the Quabbin and that same day when I was there, actually around the time I wrote this, there was this one porcupine that was hanging out at the Quabbin and he was like clockwork, like the same time every day he came waddling out and, um, You know, I would kind of almost hang out with them. Um, So I had these two juxtapositions this horrible thing and this peace and tranquility with this little creature on my little nature walk. And it was that juxtaposition that I was attracted to and thinking, you know, well, how do I marry these two? And in my first version of it, um, it failed actually. The poem wasn't, didn't really work. And because that's all I had was those two components. Um, And then I I showed the poem to my, my mentor, you know, Ellen Dorey Watson, and she was like, nope, not working. And she was the one who said, you need to put yourself into this. I mean, I was in it before as, you know, seeing the porcupine but there there was no other depth to it um and of course i'm like how the hell do i connect myself especially to the first part to this guy who you know killed his kids and who and his daughter who, who he also impregnated you know how do i even relate to that guy yeah um and then that kind of <laughs> the line was like, well, I, I never used a gun on anything other than, you know, shooting tin cans and just mulling over it over and over again. Um, this is where, you know, the art of revision comes in, of trying to find that way of getting into the poem. Um, somehow. um I got into, you know, a, a, you know, which isn't a, uh, a trope of mine is going back to my childhood and to, you know, my parents' divorce. And that's how all that came about. Um, and again, you know, thinking about, you know, how that occurred. And there there was that summer when I first moved in with my dad, where I, I was, you know, hang, you know, hanging out in the backyard and, you basically torturing worms. And, you know, so that I made that connection and and I was also thinking about um, going back to, to the original image of that, of that man. Um, you know, as I get older, um, you know, when, when I was, a, especially as a kid, I had a, and I still do, I have a huge problem with, you want what they call black and white thinking. Yeah. Um, things are either all good or all bad. And as I get older, I'm seeing more of the gray. And um, you know, when when you when you think of that story of that man, your first reaction is, wow, what a monster that guy must have been. Yeah. Which, you know, any which is right, anyone would say that. But what the hell? You know what? What drove him to all of that?
0: Yeah, the act, what right? Happened? Yeah, the act is clearly monstrous, right? Like in, and, right. and it, like you just said, it begs that question: like, what drove the person to do those things? Yeah,
2: right. And so it's you know that's where I kind of go to that, um, you know, the, the um, what despair or what illness was in him you know it doesn't justify anything of course but it's um that's where that part in the poem where in like I you know I won't I won't be I won't judge of what's going on um, because who knows what else um what despair and what illness um lies underneath
0: Yeah. Did the act of... Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
2: No, go So I was just saying that's where that part of the poem came from.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that explanation. It's really interesting to hear how artists arrive like at their art. And I I really enjoyed hearing that. I'm curious too, like you mentioned your childhood um, and some of the pain like associated with that, like your parents' divorce is a... um, is a quarry you go to to kind of mine. Um, I'm mm-hmm. wondering, does a poem like this, and you know, when your ent- when your mentor encourages you, you know, to connect to yourself, um, do you find something new in that quarry? Like, did you, like, did you pull out something new and process something new for yourself? Like the the stuff about the worms, for example, had you thought about that? Are you thinking about that in a new way because of writing this poem?
2: I'm, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> um uh I mean I get I guess the the um what I find is you know I I'll, I'll write a poem about my childhood and about that time in my life and I'm like I'm done with that I, I I wrote that poem I'm done I won't have to visit that ever again and maybe in the next poem I won't but two, three poems down the line, I'm, I'm back there exploring that time period. Um, You know, I, you know, do I ever really discover anything or learn anything? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, with this specific poem, you know, I, I did think of like, Oh, maybe, maybe there was more than just boredom why i was torturing these worms i you know who mm-hmm. knows um so but it, yeah what i find most interesting about that is how it just um when i think i'm done with it 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 rears its head again
0: yeah it's a beautiful poem and again like i said i, I love the i love the um the balance you know, between the brutality and the, the beautiful images in it. Um, I'm curious, did that porcupine stop showing up at some point or did you stop going to that spot? Like, do you know what, did it just not show up one day?
2: Um, um, well, I probably switched, um, locations and, but then when I think I went back to that location after a time period, um, he wasn't around anymore. So
0: porcupine. who knows? Yeah, he probably moved on because he was like, hey, that guy that I keep seeing's not here anymore. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I'm not gonna come here any longer. That's so yeah. interesting. Yeah. I wonder what that porcupine was doing. <laughs> eating. Probably. Yeah,
2: he was he was well, he was eating clove. He was chewing on the grass, and um it was surprising. Like um, not like I went the Try to pet him or anything, but I mean, we—I got pretty close to him, and he could care less, could, or could not care less if I was there or not. He yeah. seemed to be in his own little world, you and know, just waddling around.
0: Yeah, and, and he's got something for you in case you get too close too. So, right, right, yeah. right.
1: Do <clears throat> they launch those?
0: No, they don't. They don't shoot out of their bodies. But if you, (laughs) if they, if they get barbed by one, it will release from the body. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They can release them. Yeah,
2: I used to have a neighbor who lived by my dad, and the guy was an asshole. Um, He would let his dog run around without a leash. And every once in a while, the dog will come out of, out of the woods and his its face would be covered in porcupine quills. <laughs> My
0: God. You figured it would learn. You figure a dog would learn after the first time. No. Dumb.
2: No. And like, you know, it had long floppy ears and it would have like um, quills going right through the ears.
0: Those hound dogs, they can't help themselves, I think. Yeah. I yeah. Yep. So, how did this collection, uh, "Love Something," uh, come to be? Like, uh, I, I mean, I imagine you're always writing, right, as a poet yeah. and a writer. But at some point, you say to yourself, "I would, I would think, I've got a collection of stuff here, and I want to do something with it, put it into a collection." Do you remember? Do you remember when that started to materialize for "Love Something"?
2: Actually, it started before I even finished, uh, break every string. So, you know, I started this in 2016 and the, the reason why I started this book was because, you know, my first book break every string was, you know, it was, it's more or less a memoir in verse. It's specifically about my time growing up in Ohio. Um, And, um, the trials and tribulations of that time, you know, reading through break every string, I'm like, well, this is a downer. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I was like, you know, my next book, I want to be, um, more uplifting. And of course, I guess quills (laughs) isn't the best example of that, but, um, So, I wanted this book to be about um, things I enjoy, about about praise, about gratitude. Um, And um, that's how it came to be. And um, so, you know, over the years, um, it, it slowly formed itself into what it is, um, you know, books like these, if, or at least for me, if I set out to be like, okay, I'm going to write this book, it's going to begin this way, and it's going to have these specific poems in this specific order and end this way, I, I would completely fail. Um, I had, I would have had to focus on, um, you know, as time goes on, I'm like, Oh, you know, this poem fits that theme. This poem fits this theme. And, um, um, actually, uh, when I had my first manuscript of this, you know, the book is what 80 pages when I originally had it, it was over 150 pages. Oh my goodness. Um, and that was, you know, the first batch. And then, you know, I met with um, my two mentors, uh, Ellen Ray Watson, and um, and um, um, Diana Gordon, to help me with edits. And then, of course, they were like, you know, these are stronger poems, um, so we keep these. This is a, a weaker poem, so let's cut this one out. Um, um um or you know this is a good poem but it doesn't fit the theme so let's move it um and then the rearranging of poems and then, then of course more revising and that's how the book came to be
0: the title the title love something strikes me as a plea or a command to the reader right um it is yeah what Tell me a little bit more about that. Why make that why make that plea to the reader that they need to love something?
2: Well, that comes from in the book there's a, a, a few different series of poems within the book. And um again when I was finished with Break Every String, which that book took me 17 years to write. I right. was done with it. And then it's like, well, now what? And um, now it's time to write new poems. And I was so sick of like my my writing method is I stare at a blank page for about five hours straight. (laughs) Come back the next day, stare at for about five hours straight. The third day I write a sentence and then I delete it. (laughs) The fourth day I come, you know, it's a long process for me to get a poem going. And I was like, I'm so sick of staring at a blank page. And, you know, I'm envious of these painters. And actually, again, I was at the Quabbin and there was a guy and he was painting, um, Part he was painting a a Quabbin. The Quabbin, he had his little easel and i'm like you motherfucker you know <laughs> you just come out and you just look at the quabbin and you paint it and it's you know not that it doesn't take work but you got it all like right in front of you and i'm like well, i wish i as a poet i wish i had that i wish i had some sort of structure that i can just follow and it fall through or you know have something to work with you know even a sculptor you you have a stone And you can like, even within the, 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 the virgin rock, you can kind of see like the sculptor can kind of see what they are going to make out of it with a blank page. You don't have that. Right. So I was, I was trying to find new ways to write. And um, I always forget the God. I, I forget everyone's name. I'm horrible with names. Um, That's why I have my notes back here. Um, Yeah, John Cage. So John Cage once said, the best way to pay uh, homage to another artist is through their work. So he wrote a poem called Writing Through Howl, in which he took Allen Ginsberg's Howl and Uh, deconstructed it and then put it back together by using um, he actually used this computer algorithm to rearrange all the lines um, to make a new poem and in his algorithm all the line all the lines actually spell out um alan ginsburg's name
0: that's Um, interesting
2: yes so i had Um, I had an idea of kind of doing the same thing, but different. I didn't use a computer algorithm. What I did was um, I wanted to pay homage to a writer. So I would collect like three or five of their books, read their books. And um, as I read through all of their books, I would highlight words, Entire sentences, fragments, and and then I would and then I would put them in columns. So like all the words, sentences, phrases, um, of book one was in column one, book two, column two, column three. And then after I did that, I would take um, half of line from a poem from book one. And I would mash it together with half of a line from Book Three, um, so and to make a complete new line. And um, that was that's like the most basic. Actually, when I would do a line, in reality, I would probably like one one line would would take from all three books. You know, a, a piece of a line from Book One, a piece of a line from Book Two. Um, so you were collaging
1: at, you were collaging poems.
2: Yes, more or less. <laughs> Basically, that's what I was doing. Yeah. Um, um, and and then and at that point, I wasn't thinking of a poem. All I was thinking of is writing interesting sentences. And then after I have these sentences built out of all these fragments, then I started rearranging those, seeing what sentences um connected which sentences didn't so i might have three sentences that you know thematically connected over here and had six over here but then i had nothing in the middle so then that's when i would do original maybe do original lines there to connect them doing more cutting more splicing um and then that's how i would come up with the poem and um of course the first time I did this um it just made sense to me that the first one I would make was would be for my mentor Ellen Watson and the 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 phrase actually love something is from one of her poems that I used in that um in that process in fact um towards the end of my the poem I wrote for her um those are the only lines that I didn't um, mess with. Those are like her the last few lines are her lines because I'm actually quoting her because I say, Ellen, you said, and then I use those lines.
0: Do you talk to the, the poets who you're um, uh, creating these uh, homages to and using this process for about it like before or after like, I'm just curious. Yeah.
2: Yeah. After I do. Um, So I did one for James Tate, um, which of course I couldn't, you know, he, he already passed by then. Um, um, But I think everyone else um, I personally know uh, off the top of my head, because I did one for uh, Adam Grabowski Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, Mary Consul. I did one for, um and you know i know her um so um actually since i've talked so much about it can i read that poem
0: yeah absolutely oh
2: pam pam um pam stewart uh who is no relation to me um i wrote one for her as well um so again and this and yeah this is a bit long but um I, I don't think it'd be too bad. And like I said, all these lines, even though I used Ellen's words, they're all my lines. Um, um, it's um, except uh, to, except at the end where I say, Ellen, you said, and then that is a direct quote. So anyways, this is a homage by way of writing through the works of a mentor for Ellen Dory Watson. My mother never wished for her sons to stop painting the world's moans and glitters. You were a blooming brushstroke to the canvas. Like my brother, I could see the Taj Mahal in the grain of an oak pew. Unlike my brother, I'm no splinter inside the smooth wood. I know my trees. I know your barn boards in the shed moving toward ruin. I know your poems living in my lungs. Because of you, I'll notice every exploded headlight in the endless parking lot. The trouble with the space between us is it's a sadness made beautiful over time. The man who loves my mother's wonderful dark hair is all shallow breath and false teeth. My stepfather says she's a woman with an iron mind standing in an ornery river. Her outbursts are haphazard scattershot, appropriate in a chaotic universe. She says with each passing day, he looks more and more like a rusty earth mover. Bless the brain that never wanted a glamorous job. He eats her leftover donuts and heartache. If she were milk, she'd be sour on his breath. Their ugly intentions grew too big for the skin of their house. They're not allowed to live in the same nursing home. She wants to know if they broke the things they thought they could save. Forgive me if I miss her wild blueberries. I've removed pain by hacking at daylilies unworthy of a place in the body's garden. What are poems if they don't flip the switch from trying to forget to wish to remember? I'm forgetting how to stutter guiltily through life. I'm learning how to belong with clumsy and disobedient crows. I refuse to think about the 138 ladybugs I've killed. My arms are always full of eggshells. You've given me so many dumb and beautiful chickens. I'll remember, gentle. You found me. Uh, you found me a white heap of dough, and tonight I'm cooking to West Coast jazz with no thought of waiting out the big storm alone. Tomorrow promises the bird bird's nonsense and forbidden love's sweet birdcage. It doesn't matter who's upstairs holding Polaroids of my nakedness. What I bring to bed is a ticker tape parade. What I bring to bed is a howling in the chimney. I'm just another band geek blaring ode to joy through the car stereo. I must shape a planet in my hands and I come to this with only nine good fingers. Ellen, you said, try to push back the tangible. Be properly scared. Be here first. Love something.
0: Uh, I think I heard you read that live somewhere before, and I knew that line was in a poem somewhere, so (laughs) thank you for reading that. Um, Yeah. There's just like so many haunting and heartbreaking images in that. Mm -hmm. Like the – the line about uh, the two old people not being able to live together in the same nursing home—I don't know yeah. why that is just that is especially heartbreaking to me. Because like two, pe- you know, like two people could theoretically grow old together and maybe need to be in some kind of long-term care. And I, I would have mad, maybe-
2: <laughs> unless they're unless they're physically violent towards one another.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Going to be
1: us? Is that what you're feeling this way? <laughs> Yeah. Are you nervous? We're going to be in separate nursing homes.
0: Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we better get. We better make enough money to have a live-in nurse. Let's get on that. Um. So, what was Ellen's reaction to that? Did you read it for her? Did you just send it to her?
2: Yeah. She, no. She was. She was honored by it. I haven't met anyone who, you know, um, has issues with it um you know because you know a lot of people will i guess will bring up like well isn't that plagiarism or something like that and no because you can't copyright language right you know it's it's you know if you have a a line in one poem and and when i and the reason why i would make these columns is because i would always make sure i'm taking half of a line from from like book one and mashing it with half of a line from like book three, never, never mashing the lines from the same book, you know? And, um, you know, when you have two separate thoughts and you're taking half of a thought here and a half of a thought here, and you're making a complete new thought, it's a new thought. It's not the same thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, you run into those same types of criticism sometimes in the the collage art world that that jen right. jen here um walks in and it's it's the same same idea about you know why it is it really is creating something new um right yeah i love that um so you wanted to you wanted to love something you wanted to put together a collection that was more focused on gratitude and love. And it got me wondering, you know, what, what is love to you, Joshua Michael Stewart? Where do you, where do you, where do you find it in the world? This big, scary, (laughs) dark world that we all live in.
2: Well, that, wow. (laughs) That is, um, that is a big question. Um, I mean, there's, you know, I, I I don't know if it's because I'm a writer or if it's because I'm an introvert that has caused me to be, I don't know where one comes to the other, but I'm very introverted. I'm a, I'm extremely shy. Um, I'm, I'm a for the most part. Um, and I guess I have a hard time expressing love. Um, like you, you know, it's no question. You know, we are friends, but we almost never see each other. Right. Um, even w- without the the pandemic, we don't really <laughs> see each other. But and 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 Chanel can vouch for this because I've said it to her many times. You two are one of my most favorite people in the world. Mm,
0: thank you for saying that.
2: <laughs> it's 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 honest. And um you know, so you know so I I guess I always have a hard time expressing that. Maybe that's also why I wrote this book is because um I can put it I can I can think about it slowly. And, um, I can put it down in something that's concrete and express it, um, in a way that I probably couldn't do face to face. That Um, makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. And, you
2: know, I love, I, you know, I deep, like, I guess what I'm saying is I deeply love my friends, even if I don't see them that much. (laughs) And I, you know, I love my family. You know, my my dad um, and, you know, my mom and my brother who have passed and, um, you know, uh, the the relationships with them was extremely difficult. Um, But nonetheless, I I still love them. Um, And I remember when my mom was um, when she was in the nursing home and she was in uh, Parkinson's and she, um, of course, the way it works when she finally wanted to actually talk about things that she refused to talk about, she lost her voice and she couldn't talk about them.
0: Mm. What a terrible irony.
2: Right. It was. And, um, um, I, you know, and, and like, you know, she would try to, um, she would try to talk, but it was like, it was just mush and to you know get simple words was literally took hours and i can't remember cuz it was constantly moving shifting back and forth back and forth but at one point it dawned on me that she was saying that um, basically she was saying that i'm in the nursing home with parkinson's because i i because she she was an alcoholic And she believed that the alcoholism is what caused the Parkinson's caused her to be in the nursing home, caused her to uh, um, lose her house. And because of that, I didn't love her anymore. And, you know, and I, 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 you know, I was I I was um, I, 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 I mean, I understood what she thought about that. But I was like, you know, no and i was like i mean there was there's a lot you did that disappointed me and i wish you didn't you know do the things that you did i wish you took better care of your health but it no way do i love you any less yeah and um and i remember and i mentioned this in one of my poems where um i had the idea of i i wrote out the alphabet on a piece of paper so she could point to the letters. And, and of course, because of her Parkinson's, like, you know, (laughs) she instead of pointing to a or B, she would point in the middle of the two, (laughs) like, which one is it? But then again, and it took like an hour and, and by the time she pointed everything out, she asked, do I deserve this? Uh. And again, she was she was harping on this idea that um, her alcoholism caused the Parkinson's, which for the record, there's actually no proof that alcoholism um, does cause Parkinson's. Yeah. There's there have yeah. been studies. There's nothing that um, indicates that. Um, um, which, again, as, as I mentioned in that poem, I say, you know, no, it doesn't. Um, the only real connection that is, is they found that people who have Parkinson's have uh, lower dopamine levels. Mm. Um, so be happy, <laughs> be happy <laughs> or you may get Parkinson's. Um, but it, so and of course, alcohol does deplete your dopamine. Mm-hmm. So maybe in a roundabout way it does cause, but there's no scientific proof saying 100% that it does. Mm -hmm.
0: When she asked you if she deserved it, did you answer her?
2: I did. I said, no, you know, and, um, you know, because, you know, know, no one deserves that. Um, I mean, especially towards the end. And my mom was always very, very independent. Um, She never allowed anybody to help her with anything, Um, And to see her in her her final year, um, you know, I I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Um, But I also said no, because it was a fact, or at least a fact to the point that we know that the alcoholism didn't cause it.
0: Yeah. So. And and that's a different question, right? Like, do I did I cause this through my drinking and do I deserve this? Like I I see those, I see those as like fundamentally different questions.
2: They are. Yeah. Um, to her, I think to her, maybe not. Um, so, um, yeah. And it, it was, it was sad too, because, um, we don't know how, I mean, she was diagnosed in 2016, but we think she had it. Um, years before and um was because she she kept on falling Mm. um um and um and we you know and of course because of her her alcoholism everyone assumed well yeah she's falling down drunk but you know now it's like well maybe it was a mix of both you know it was that but she was also having the parkinson's Hard to know, and of course she, you know, the last time she went to a doctor, the doctor said, "You better quit your drinking, or it's going to kill you." So she was like, "No more doctors."
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the (laughs) solution. Yep, that's the solution. That's the answer. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, so she never went to a doctor, and um, um, the the final straw was she she um it was Mother's Day course i'm at work because i'm always at work and i'm like i gotta call mom and wish her happy mother's day and i call and she's hammered out of her mind and this is on a sunday at 11 o'clock in the morning and i'm like what's going on and um she's like I, i i think i broke my arm And I'm like, what do you mean you broke your arm? She's like, I I think I fell down. And I'm like, when? And she's like, oh, about about three days ago. And I'm like, you fell three days ago and you think you broke your arm. Did you go to the hospital? Uh, I was thinking about it. So I'm like, I'll call you back, mom hung up with her and of course she's in Ohio. I'm in Massachusetts. So I have to call the town police um, in Sandusky. And I'm like, I think my mom broke her arm three days ago and I need someone to send. And of course the cops came and took her away. And um, what actually, and that wasn't what caught actually got her in the nursing home. What got her in the nursing home is Um, when you become an alcoholic and you drink for 20, 30 years and you're drinking, the last time I was at my mother's house, um, where I stayed with her for a significant time, which was in 2014, she was drinking 15 beers a day and she wasn't even buzzed.
0: Oh my God.
2: That's what she drank to be normal. Um
0: That's a lot of that's a lot of alcohol.
2: Right. Um, well, my brother, um, when he was at his worst, he was drinking a liter of gin a day.
0: <sighs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. It's <laughs> that, <that's> a <laughs> no, lot I know, but it's like yeah. holy
2: shit. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, when you drink. That much for that long, you deplete your B twelve. When you deplete your B twelve, it kills your short term memory. Thus, you get what is called alcohol induced dementia. And it was because of that um, they were able to put her in a nursing home, take away her um, her legal rights of herself. She was uh, some attorney was appointed to her. Um, but the good news about that is once you stop drinking and your b12 replenishes your memory comes back so that's how it's different than regular dementia so when my mom was her last you know she, what she went in the and in, to the nursing home in 2016 she died in 2020 um her you know she was she was completely lucid Um, it was hard to understand her when she tried to communicate, but once you understood what she was saying, you knew she knew what she was saying.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. And I'm hearing in that, um, to connect this back to the command, right. To love something, you know, love is often a choice, like, right. We have Mm -hmm. to make, sometimes we have to make a, make a choice, um, to choose love over something else, right? Um, you know, I just, I, I recently went through an experience um, with my my last parent. Uh, my father just passed away, and he was a, you know, for a lot of my life, like a, a pretty abusive person towards me. Um, and, you know, I like, I made a decision, I think, relatively recently, not to talk too much about the forms of that abuse, right? But, like you know, for a lot of his life, he wasn't a nice guy. And like towards the end of his life, um, you know, like your mother, you know, he found himself in a situation where he couldn't care for himself. Um, and he was a very independent person. And, you know, my siblings and I had to make a choice, you know, we had to choose to be there for him, choose to show him love and choose to, you know, help him, you know, transition through the death process. Like, you know, so yeah, even I'm sort of thinking about that command to love something even differently now in light of my recent experience.
2: Right. Um, because, you know, I, I mean, there were so many times where I wished, you know, like before my mother was in the nursing home, um, I kind of would fantasize for that day where, like, she would be in a nursing home and I would kind of, like, stick my finger in her face and be like, you deserve this. And I'm walking away and now you get to see my ass go out that door. And I'm sure you probably had, you know, fantasies about that as well.
0: Many over the years, many.
2: But then when it came push to shove, you know, push to shove, Mm -hmm. I'm like... I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, and um, um you know, and I, I always tell this to my clients at work. You know, when they have you know um, when they fight amongst each other or have interactions, um, I always tell them, "Be the better man." You know, it's like, yeah, you know, um, somebody did you wrong, and you want that revenge. And, but you know it's you need to be the better man you want to be the better man
0: yeah
2: um and i, I you know i'm sure you came to that same conclusion
0: yeah yeah it's in and it and it's complicated um
2: right right yeah. well I, you know when you when you when you mentioned that your father passed i sent you that message and i was like I know your relationship with him was, and I use that word, very complex. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. And and I always wondered if, because um, I know you left home right after high school, how uh, other than him getting sick and getting you know old, how much time did did you um, interact with them a lot or regularly or no?
0: I'd say not a lot, but regularly. Um, you know, I like you said. Um, you know, I, I I always recognized that. You know, whatever for whatever reason, you know, there's part of me that always acknowledged he's my father. I I still love him, like, mm-hmm. like in spite of in spite of all of the abuse over the years. Um, you know, which which conti- which continued until relatively recently. You know, like I would go to see him. You know, is recently as a few months ago, I'd be sitting there in the room with him. He'd look at my shoes and he'd be like, what the hell's wrong with those shoes? Like, why don't you have <laughs> shoes with like, why don't you have shoes with laces? <laughs> right. And so I'm at a, you know, at, at this point in my life, I was just like, well, because I choose not to wear shoes with laces. Right. But like, so he's right. always trying to pick a fight with me, but, you know, I saw him, I saw him as much as necessary, you know, as yeah. little, as little as possible to maintain the relationship and the connection, you know, but if he ever needed anything or ever reached out to help for help, I was always there for him and would always help him, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And that sort of amplified itself in the last couple of weeks of his life. Like he just got himself in a position where, you know, he just needed, he needed help. And so my brother, my my sister and I kind of all came together, um, rallied kind of around him to assist him. Because he, he, yeah, had, had, he, he had no one else, really.
2: Right. And rally amongst each other as well, too.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, th- there were moments where we kind of looked around, you know, when we were in the hospice situation in his house with him. And we said, can we believe, we can't even believe we're doing this. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, how, how can, why are we here and doing this, you know? And I still, you know and i think it goes it goes back you know to what we've been talking about in terms of love like sometimes you just have to make a choice to to
1: have compassion to have
0: compassion and choose love and express love in some Take way it's the higher road yeah in some way and you know we right. didn't we didn't have any last moments i love yous or anything like that but i think you know it was i don't think it was necessary you know i think by by us yeah. be, by us being there you know um I think we showed that in the end. That's what I'm hoping, anyways. Who knows? Yeah. Now he's dead, I'll never know. But
1: I mean, sorry, I don't mean to go down this road, but like, even with, like all the grandchildren, like, they wanted to go see him. Yeah. They didn't have, they also had a complex relationship where, you know, he didn't really have a relationship yeah. with the kids.
0: Yeah. He. I mean, he knew who they were, but right. he, other than that, he didn't really know any of them. Um, really? But, when they all marched in to see him when he was in his hospital bed and this was this a day was,
1: before he died. This was less
0: than twenty four hours before he died. Um, he was like really happy to see them. And like I, I would almost say that like he was joyful to mm-hmm. see them. No, it was. You know really? And, yeah. And they and I said to them afterwards, I went out and talked to them, I said, You guys just did an incredibly important thing. Like you mm-hmm. you showed this man love <laughs> and his last moments and you yeah. you that's such a big gift to somebody who is who's dying who may not have felt a lot of love in their life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I was so proud of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know, I was so proud of them for doing that. They may, again, they made that choice to love something, to love, right? To connect it right. back to what we're talking about here. Um Josh, I wanted to ask you um, your book, "Love Something," the collection of poems, and I want to I want to remind people this is available for purchase. Um, Josh, what's the best way to buy it, the book?
2: Mm, uh, I guess the best way to buy the book would be through the um, uh, the Main Street Rag um, uh, website. Um, it is not available. Um, um, it is not available on Amazon. Um, you could also, uh, get this book or any of my other books, uh, through me, at, at um, uh, www.joshuamichaelstewart.com. Um, or, you know, you can note, uh, there's a way on my website, you can uh, reach me. Um, and I also think there are links on my webpage, um, To the Main Street Rag um, website, and my other two books are available um, on Amazon.
0: And we'll have all of the links that um, Joshua is mentioning in our show notes. So, you know, if you're a podcast listener, if you're coming to us for the first time because you are a fan of Joshua's, um, go to our show notes, and you can find all of the links there. But um, you know, purchase purchase this book. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, you've just heard us. We've spent. You know, we've spent half an hour connecting a poem that mm-hmm. jo- that Joshua read, you know, to our lives and and thinking about it and deconstructing, you know, meaning from a, a poem. Um, so there, I mean, these are, um, th- these are really works of art with a lot of meaning in them. So I encourage you to buy the book and support uh, Joshua's work. Okay, listeners, please do me a favor. <laughs> Buy the book. Buy the book.
1: <laughs> Buy the book. Uh, do it.
0: And and you know I put my money where my mouth is. I'm holding up the book for Joshua to see. It's right here. We we bought it. So, um, <laughs> all right. So what I was going to ask you, Josh, uh, before I got off on a tangent was, I noticed that the book is structured in three sections. Do those sections have any particular meaning?
2: Um, not really. Um, it's it's just kind of to um break things up, um, for, you know, for the reader, uh, each section isn't like its own theme per se. Um, you know, this, the same theme kind of runs through the whole, whole book. Um, my, my other book, um, um, the bastard, uh, children of Dharma bums, the, the sections of that are, are more defined, um, but in this, in the, in this book, um, there is no, they're just broken up to, to, to break up the reading for the reader. Okay.
0: Thanks. Yeah. I'm always searching for meaning. So <laughs> I was curious, yeah. I was curious if it meant anything in particular. Um, what's, what do you find as a writer? Um, I think I might even know this answer now after we've talked, what, like, what is the most challenging thing for you to write about? Is there a most challenging thing? Like when you think about, I'm going to write about. I'm going to write about this particular area and I really don't want to, but I feel I need to, like, is there something?
2: No. Um, I mean, what, what is difficult for me is always the beginning to get um, a poem going. Um, And usually, um, you know, I, I can't, usually it doesn't work where I'm like, I'm going to write about my childhood. If I thought about writing my childhood, I'd go completely blank and I'd be like, I would swear I never had a childhood because I couldn't remember anything. Um, um, so thematically, I don't have a problem. It's just always getting something rolling. Um, once I get, get something rolling, I I, I, I I go wherever the poem wants to go and whatever, you know, there's nothing off limits i don't write love it's <laughs> ironically um with this book i don't write what you would normally call like love poems like romantic poems like roses um, are red
1: violence are blue
2: yeah yeah or you know um um I, I i've never even i don't think i've ever written a poem like that um you know or like written to like you know a girl or whatever Um, I've never done
0: that. So, How important is reading to a live audience to you? I've seen you read a couple of times um, and I always get something different out of the poem hearing you read it versus me reading it on the page. Um, So I wanted to get your thoughts on the role that performance and live reading um plays in your life as an artist and uh, a poet
2: i i do readings um it's to me it's part of the job um i don't particularly like doing readings though i'm for the most part good at it um it gets the poems out there um what i what i do like about it actually is um the community, um, you know, the, the, you know, uh, we're very lucky to live in the pioneer Valley. That's, you know, of course, full of artists. Uh, the soft serve podcast has proved that many times. <laughs> um, but, but um, I read somewhere that like the pioneer Valley is second only to New York city to having the most concentrated uh, of professional writers in an area hmm. um that's right um, yeah um and all kinds of writers you know you got um, you, obviously you got poets you got novelists you got um, a, tons of ch- uh, children book writers yep. um living in the area um and so you it, there's a there's a there's a huge rich community of writers. And, you know, of course, you know, you go to all the writing, uh, I mean, all the reading series. Um, and that's another thing. Um, almost every night you could, uh, if I wanted to, there I could probably go and do a reading every night. Um, there's always some sort of reading somewhere. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, other than like, you know, your major cities like New York or Bo- I don't even think Boston has as many readings as we do. Um um you know you build this huge community and you see the same people all the time um it's like your tribe and like a tribe. yeah it is it's it's our tribe um so that's what i like and you know and again you know it's you get the you know the um the poems out to people other people who um would never hear of my work um hear about it at the readings um what is also good like when you're when you're reading new work when you're reading it out loud um for the first time you might hear things um that you normally you didn't hear when you're sitting at your desk you know you might read a line and be like oh that doesn't really jive that well uh, i need to fix that somehow and and again and also you have poems that surprise you in the sense that you know, you write a poem and you think it's the shits and you read it at the poetry um reading and it's crickets and no one seems to be interested in it. And you're like, wow. And then you got other poems that you think are garbage. And you know, nine out of ten times those are the poems that people come up to you and be like, Oh, I love that. That was great. Hmm. Um, so it's it's good to to um um you know, do readings to measure, you know, your work and what works and what doesn't.
0: Will you then go and make adjustments to it? Like if a poem is in an early stage, will you then go and make an adjustment to it based on a reading? Like something you've heard based on your own reading or a reaction from the audience? Or
2: Yeah, I'm very, you know, I'm very, um, I'm not saying because one person makes a suggestion, I'm going to automatically go... And change my poem, but I do, you know, consider it. And I'm not uh, above changing my poems. In fact, you know, if if I ever made a, um, you know, like a uh, collected poems book where I collect, you know, my best poems from the books I've published, they probably will get revised again because you know there might be something I see that can be changed um who was there was a famous poet who said uh poems are never finished they're only abandoned you know so um you know you're always revising poems um they're never finished um but i'm yeah, but I, yeah, so I, I'm always open for suggestions and, you know, if, you know, you know, there, there's the commercial 101 people can't be wrong. So, if you know, enough people say, you know, this line isn't working, then it's, you know, maybe it's a good chance the line's not working. So.
0: What has writing and putting together Love Something revealed to you? What did you learn from putting together this collection?
2: What did I learn? I don't know, do I ever learn anything? <laughs> um, yeah, i what did I learn? Jeez, um I learned that writing books of poems are a pain in the ass. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a big thing I learned um i I guess I learned that um um jeez, I really don't know. Um,
0: and that's okay. I mean, we're still early in the the uh, I think, birth of this book to the world, right?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, I guess uh I you know i I'm always afraid. turn into that type of poet where you write about one thing and um and that's that's all you write about um so um you know after I wrote break every string and again that was a memoir about my time growing up in Ohio and my family life I was so paranoid like oh um You know, is that is that it? Is that all I have to say? Is that all I'm going to be able to write about? And is my next book just going to be more of that? And of course, you know, a lot of my family um, um, is is in this book, and um, I touch in those elements in this book, but it's it's broader. Um, It goes to to more deeper um, themes. Um, and I guess that's one thing I can say I learned is that I can um, write about other things and um, write in other tones. Um, currently, right now, actually, I've been moving away from poetry and or, um, or doing a mixed genre. I've actually been trying to write more flash fiction um, and prose poems. Um, uh, so that's what I've been currently doing. Um, so, I'm always looking for new avenues to go down. Um, so, to 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 repeat myself, I guess I learned that I can, um, with this book, I can write other themes and dive in other locations.
0: I love that. It's something, I don't know, I mean, I've dabbled in different forms of art over the years, and I think something I always wonder, like, too, like, can I do something else? Am I capable of doing something else, right? And often it requires a little pushing outside of your comfort zone, right? Like, to mm-hmm. to get there. And it's a little scary at first, like, pushing those, pushing beyond what you thought your boundaries might be. Um, but I think that's wonderful. I can't wait to um, read more of that flash fiction and prose prose. Um, prose poems the prose poems yeah that, that you're working on hopefully
2: yeah. well, hopefully, like this, hopefully
0: they'll come out in a collection or something at some point maybe <laughs> right maybe. now I got
2: right now I got actually two books going oh, I have a I have a book that is a, like a collection of um prose poems um new and uh old um and more flash fiction and then I got my uh, another book, That's going to be more of my um, uh, Japanese um, style um, uh, poems. So my haikus, my tankas, my haibuns. Both books are probably at least five years in the making, um, but I'm working on both of those at the same time. I love that. yeah. And there's a lot of prose poems, like in Break Every String, there was only one prose poem, but uh, in Love Something, there's actually quite a few prose poems in here. And I've always been a, what they call a narrative um, poet. Um, you know, most of my poems um, are have story in them.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: Uh, right. Um you know it, not that i don't have any what they call lyrics um but i don't write those as much um i i think in stories even in poems i think in stories
0: um there's a lot of uh characters like in your poems right i mean this yeah. this is this is and hopefully you won't bristle at this comparison um, but there's a uh, there's an element you know, like what Bruce Springsteen brings to songwriting, kind of the, mm-hmm. the very character driven, like down to earth, yeah, uh, real like stories. And like, I don't know, I feel just for me, because I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, <laughs> like, I don't know, yeah. I feel some of that in your work, right? like, you know.
2: Right. Well, um, yeah, um. Um, And not so much Bruce Springsteen, but probably one of my biggest influences on my writing that isn't even a poet is uh, the folk singer Greg Brown. Mm. And um, a lot of his songs are very character driven. And of course, there's not a poet alive um, who isn't, you know, didn't become a poet because they couldn't write songs like Bob Dylan. (laughs) You know, I mean. (laughs) Yeah, you know that's really that's part of it. Um, you know, you know Bob Dylan is same thing. I mean, all his 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 um, songs are you know character driven and very narrative. Um,
0: yeah, um, I think this is a good transition to what I wanted to ask you about a little bit was just your 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 music is really important in your life, um, and so I wanted you just to talk a little bit with us about. The role that music plays in your life and how important that is to you.
2: Yeah. uh, Well, what I like to say is, poetry is my wife, and music is my mistress. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Poetry, Um, yeah. Poetry, better watch out.
2: uh, Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, is you know, um, it's uh, my my artistic journey has been a long one I've known I've wanted to be a writer since the age of six and um, you know at first I wrote little short stories um, that usually consisted of me rewriting um, Sesame Street skits Um, then I wanted to be at at some point I wanted to be a playwright and I would force all my neighborhood friends to be in my play, and then when they refused to be in my play, I said "fuck you guys." And I said, <laughs> "I'm going to become a, I'm going to become a puppeteer, and there I could write my own plays and act them all out, and I won't need y'all." And, um, then, um, and then, and then, and I guess in junior high, I got into music more and more. I wanted to be, uh, you know, um, back in 1987, I was a huge heavy metal fan. So I wanted to play, you know, uh, electric guitar, like all the heavy metal guys. And, um, then I got in high school and someone could play guitar better than me. So I switched to bass. Um, so I became a bass player and then around sophomore year, I, um, uh, my i met my well i knew him from before but i really became friends with my uh, my best friend uh, scott graves who was a saxophone player also, he got me into
0: also a guest on our podcast
2: yes that's <laughs> yep. true and uh um uh, he got me into jazz and um i saw the movie it was it's actually a um i recommend it it's the movie's called bird uh, it's. It was actually directed by uh, Clint Eastwood, and it was about the life of Charlie Parker, and it flipped my mind, and I've been an avid jazz fan ever since. Uh, we Scott and I had a jazz quintet for years. I actually, when I went to UMass, I went to UMass, and I was a jazz composition major. Um, whole shitstorm about being a music major in college I won't go into that that that's would take too long I um got frustrated with music I quit playing I actually quit playing for 12 years um that's where I went back to actually writing writing and I got into poetry um I got into poetry the where I really got into poetry was um again um I went to UMass Amherst, my my best friend, Scott, went to um, UMass Lowell. Lowell is where Jack Kerouac is from. Um, Jack Kerouac had a huge connection to jazz and that's how I got into Jack Kerouac and how I got into the Beats was through jazz really. Um, and um, and then when I was at UMass, uh, there was uh, a poet Charles Simic as a book called *Walking the Black Cat*, and the only reason why I picked up that book was because the book cover actually looked like, uh, like a jazz, like a jazz album cover, and, and of course Charles Simic is all into surrealistic poetry, which I knew nothing about, and I remember just flipping through that book and reading those poems. And just being again, um, just like the, the 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 that movie Bird, completely flipped my mind, and I, I was like, "This is what poetry could be," you know. Because at that time, I just thought poetry was just the, the boring old shit that Robert Frost used to write. Right. And by the way, I hate Robert Frost. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> what do you What do you hate about it, him?
2: I I I, I it, it just bores me to death. <laughs> and, you know, and I, and I I, 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 it's not so much I hate Robert Frost, but I hate what the public school system has done to poetry. Um, because, you know, we, nobody reads poetry anymore. The only people who really read poetry are other poets. Um, even, even if you're a nationally known poet, if you sell like 2,000 books, you're doing excellent. Yeah. And that's nationally known. Um, you know, and, you know, and if people, if kids were reading Charles Simic, if people, if kids were reading uh, James Tate, Billy Collins, Mark Doty, Sharon Olds, um, and so many other contemporary poems when they were in high school, rather than this old, dated stuff that they can't relate to, they would be reading more poetry anyways, I digress. Um, so I got into poetry. Um, I didn't play for 12 years and then I got into, and then just one day I was like, um, one day I was like, Oh, I guess I'm ready to get back into it. And, um, my dad had a banjo that he never touched. And cause by then I sold all my instruments. Um, and I just started tinkering with this banjo and then I got into it and I, and it never, it never left me. Even, even those 12 years when I wasn't playing, you know, where, you know, people will, you know, when they're trying to sleep, you know, there's that old thing where you like, you count sheep. Yeah, I remember yeah. on times when I couldn't sleep again, when those 12 years where I never laid hands on an instrument, I would go through my scales Mm -hmm. i would go through my you know aeolian my dorian my phrygian my lydian my mixolydian my locrian and um go through my blues scales and 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 i and so you know i thought when i when i grabbed the instrument i'm like ah it's gonna take me years to get back to where i was and it was like within a week I knew I was back to right where I was and of the course. Then I bought a bass and now I have like, I have two basses. I have five banjos, one's uh-huh. electric banjo and um, and a ukulele or a few ukuleles. I have like three of those. The only thing I don't play is guitar. <laughs> I just play all the other string instruments on these guitar.
1: Are these like electric basses or like an upright? No, you don't, no, have, I like don't an- have
2: I don't have an upright. I okay. have acoustic. I have an acoustic bass guitar, and I have a electric bass guitar.
1: Okay,
2: yeah, and I have an electric banjo, and then all my other banjos are, you know, your resonator. Um, yeah. However, with all that said, I haven't actually played in over a year. Um,
0: but you've been I, busy composing. Um, in a recent yes. in a recent post, you I think you said you. Um, I'm going to quote you. You're in a composing craze, and uh, you put out. I I wanted to play a little of this, if I have your permission. Um, Oh yes. You put out a piece, um, and I'm. I think it was named in honor of um, yours truly, me. (laughs) It's called Brad's UFO because I'm super into UFOs. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) And I love this. I'm just gonna play a little of it so people can people can hear. And I think you said this is your like this is your first like quote like classical piece that you've composed. Yes. All yeah. Right. All right, let me fire this up. Let's see if I can walk and chew gum here at the same time. So we're gonna hear a little bit of um Josh's Brad's UFO um, concert band arrangement. And um, Josh has a SoundCloud account. So you can go there um, to Joshua Michael Stewart and and look at a bunch of other stuff that he's put up there. Um, And all of it's really cool. So I'm going to hit play. Let's see if this works. Turn it down a little bit. I love chimes. I love this. This part's awesome. (laughs) In my mind, that's the UFO landing to take me away. (laughs) Let's let that play in the background a little bit. And I love, I think I saw a screenshot of like maybe the composing software you use to put something like this together. And it looks so, it looks so complex to me. (laughs) Like, yeah, uh, but you said you majored in this stuff, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where I've never been a strong player. And I, and, and quite honestly, I hate, I never, like, even when I was in a band and we would do gigs, I hated it. I hated it, hated it, hated it. What I loved is the writing. I loved the composing. Um, and that is my strong suit. Like I can see a score and I can see where all, you know, how the notes relate to one another and how it relates to the harmonic structure of the piece and how it moves and how it shifts. Um, that That's my strong suit. Um, which reminds me, I'm going to make you happy. Oh no. (laughs) Because I'm, I'm, because in a, in a previous episode, you guys were having an argument. Oh no. About (laughs) jazz and jam bands.
1: Uh Oh, Oh, we were. Okay. um. And
2: I, 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 am happy to tell you, Brad, you are right. Oh
1: no! Hold no, on! No! 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 Hold no! On. No! no.
2: <laughs> yes. You are right. There is a difference between jam bands and jazz. Yes. And the reason, the reason <laughs> why there's a difference, is because of the harmonic structure. In jazz, like in, 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 in like a regular, like in a regular jazz piece. It can change it. Sometimes it changes keys every two bars. So the harmonic structure is constantly changing. Whereas in a jam band, the reason why it seems it sounds monotonous is because it is. Because when those jam bands, what they're doing is they're like, when they're doing all their soloing, 90% of the time they're playing one chord and they don't move from that chord. Huh. It's just like a minor for 17 minutes straight, <laughs> or they might do what they call a two five, which is like a, a two and a five and a two and a five and a two, which is what you hear in like um, the doors. Um, light my fire, yeah. Do, 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 do all it is is a two and a five and a two and a five, and which is would be like a D minor to a G seven, a D minor to a G seven. So harmonically they don't change. Also, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll they'll go, you know, all they for 17 minutes they'll just wail on a blues scale. Whereas like, you know, um playing a blues scale in um and jazz is almost like a death sentence. Um, <laughs>
0: you,
2: you you I mean they do they do play um they do play blues notes and blue scales but they don't they n- would never like rely on it. They use like other scales like mixolydian or you know uh dorian, you know the, the Miles Davis's um, song, so what is all based on the Dorian scale, um, they're using arpeggios, they're using what they call extensions. Um, so, so basically the reason why jazz is different is because harmonically they're constantly changing, whereas in jam bands they're usually not. They're usually on one note or one chord and they just lay on that forever.
0: And maybe that's why, I mean, I think you agree with me, Jen, that some of that music's pretty boring, right? Some of those jam band musics. You don't agree with me? No, it's all awful. Okay. All right. So <laughs> Sorry. maybe. <I> think we, <laughs> that's <laughs> why I don't listen to it. I think we just heard why. And I. Yeah. it's interesting. And like, <clears throat> I think I only know this intuitively, but now that I hear you explain it, it makes sense to me. Like, right. I have always found jazz like endlessly interesting. Like, it's I, always shifting. like you never know what's around the corner. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not right. entirely predictable. Um, that's what I love about it.
2: That's why I like Tool. Yeah. Well, also too, what a lot of people don't realize is like, um, like where if a jam band will play like a blues, right? You know, the blues is based off of your three chords and they're, they, they come into it in a certain pattern. Whereas jazz cats they'll play a blues but in the blues they'll also throw in what they call substitute chords which they don't you don't know they're going to do that until until it happens Um, so even in a blues where it's a, a, a chord pattern that's repeated over and over again they'll throw in all these alternative chords so it's constantly changing
0: yeah, it's so fascinating. Um do you see any similarities between uh, composing music and composing poems? Mm. Or are those things completely no, separate for you?
2: It's come it's completely separate for me because um I guess they're they're two different languages. And Whereas, you know, my poems are free verse um, and, you know, the the, um, compositions are are far more structured. If I wrote more, like if I wrote sonnets um, or or entirely in sonnets, I might see more of a connection, but um, not really.
0: Okay. Um, so before we before we begin to wind down, Josh, um, I'm wondering if you could read us one more poem. Um, one of the ones I had picked out was called "January Praise." I've, okay, I'd love to hear this. I think mostly because uh, what are we in? Near the end of October.
1: Because you want to fast forward to January.
0: January will be here in eight weeks. So I thought this would be appropriate to hear this one.
1: Yeah, well, actually, I think this release is really close to January.
0: Oh, it does. Yeah, we're recording this. Um, I forgot. Thank you, Stomping Jen. We're always I like weeks attention. weeks, and weeks ahead. So
1: I pay attention. We're
0: recording this in October, but um, you all will be hearing this very close to January. So maybe that was my subconscious trying to tell me to pick something that would be more apropos to when this releases
1: you're not acknowledging that i pay
0: attention i just acknowledged it you, <laughs> you pay attention mm-hmm. but i was right about the jazz thing just so yeah. you know
2: <laughs> i don't remember you what you the actual let argument you live was. it down
1: yeah <laughs> no. i don't remember what the actual argument was what, what was it was i saying that jazz was like jam bands
0: i think you were yeah
1: yes i think so is that my position yeah. and, and he was
2: like no it's totally different <laughs>
0: Yep. Yep. There it is. All right. (laughs) Um, I'm going to be quiet. Um, and we're going to let, we're going to let Josh read January praise.
2: Okay. So January, so there is, uh, a series of poems, uh, I call the praise poems. There's January praise, there's November praise, and there's another praise. And, um, again, when I was writing this book, I, you know, I wanted to um I wanted it to be a book of um a book of praise, of things that I love. Uh I wanted it to be a book of, you know, uh, you know, expressing gratitude. Um and so to do that, I I started this series of um, poems in which I basically um uh would write, you know, what I did was for the entire month, I would just write down all the things that I'm grateful for, and then I would try take after that. I would try to make lines, and you know, um, um, find the most interesting lines um, or most in- interesting things, and build a poem out of it. Um, so this is how this one came about. January praise. Grateful I wasn't the one my mother miscarried. Grateful for being blind in only one eye, for having all my fingers, a homemade explosive never having gone off in my hands. Grateful for coffee soaked into my mustache, for slow breaths and refrigerator hums, for the smell of old books, the sound of the turning page, for the field recordings of Alan Lomax, for blue notes and metal slides across guitar strings. Grateful for presidential term limits, for the goodness that lives within most people, even when goodness won't venture far from its wounded cave. Grateful for Basho and his leaping frog, for turkey treks in the snow, for conversations with people who look nothing like me.
0: Mm, Thank you. I love that poem. Thank you. Yeah. Again, it's the, um, I don't know what it is about me, like setting up these almost um, somehow very qualitatively different feeling images in my mind. Like I love the image of uh, the goodness that most people have. But it's, mm-hmm. you know, but a lot of our goodness we carry around wounded, right? And it's hiding, you know, somewhere somewhere not too far back in our caves where, you know, it, it can get out. Right. It can get out, but we're not, you know, enough of us have been wounded enough times where we don't let it all the way out all the time. Like, I love that. I love that image. I've just been thinking about it ever since I I, I read that uh, some time ago. And then I love like I love the simplicity and the beauty of the turkey tracks in the snow. Like mm-hmm. I just I don't know I don't know what I'm trying to say. Stomping. What are you trying to say? I'm just you respo- like the poem. I'm responding to what I love about this poem. I think poem. you like the poem. Yes, I did. Thank you for leaving it. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So, um, anything else you wanted to to make sure we touched on? Uh, during this conversation, Josh. As Anything
1: we, else that Brad was right about that I was wrong about? I mean
0: everything. <laughs> everything, Jennifer.
2: Well, I guess I want to. I want to point out that. What are you doing?
0: Uh, Josh is <laughs> turning Tucking around, turning around, and looking at his gigantic, beautiful cat.
2: Oh come! Yeah, my girl. Um, do you notice that your mood changes? Between your your episodes where it's just you and Jen, and or where you have a you have a guest,
0: um, probably. Um, I'd be really interested in your thoughts. Yes, about so that. I want to hear what you have um, to say
2: about that. You are far more negative when it's just you and Jen.
0: Yeah, I mean. <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> yeah, that does track. <laughs> Jen is like Jen's like, that's my lived experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean
2: But it, it, I have a theory for that. Yeah, please. I think the reason why is because you're 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 comfortable with her and you're willing to be vulnerable with her.
0: Yeah, I mean I think you're a hundred percent right. Let me give you this. I mean, I I think that's it. I've said this before. I mean, and it's one of the reasons why I'm lucky enough. Number one, I have a a spouse who will do this with me. But um, there's nobody I feel I can be my truly authentic self with more than Jen. Mm -hmm. Right? And unfortunately, that truly authentic self is negative- (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's not all negative, um no it's not
0: <laughs> no, but uh, and you know, with guests, you know a lot of times like a lot of guests um I'm meeting for the very first time, yeah, right and right. they're they're people you know i I don't know and I'm trying to like
1: connect with them
0: th- there's right. that there's that, and I also have the philosophy like um. When somebody is gracious enough to give their time to us and their mental energy, like I really try to treat them like a guest. Like, and, you know, I don't, Mm. I'm not interested in like going after them or bringing them, trying to bring them down. And I, I share. I tend to share a lot less of myself and that because I want it to be about them. Like with, with you, Josh, we've known you a long time. I think
1: I've known Josh yeah. longer than yeah. I've known you.
0: You have. Yeah. And yes. you know, we, and I can, I feel I can probably be myself a little bit more with you. Like,
1: yeah.
0: You know, I don't know, yeah, yeah. but not that I'm not myself with those other people. It's just like, um,
1: it's a different part of you. It's just like a different you compartmentalize part of me. more.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. Right.
0: Um, and, and, but i think
2: yeah go ahead. you know because i I've, I've heard you guys say that like um people have either told you or written in that they like the um they want more episodes of it's just you two yeah and i i mean it's I, the reason why is because even when you guys bicker with each other you can clearly hear the love between the two of
0: you. I love that. Thank you.
2: It's true. And I I think that's why people love to hear it because you can always hear the love between the two of you, even when you guys are aggravating each other. Well, that tracks. Yeah, that tracks. (laughs) And, (laughs) and every, and what I, what I love is when, when Brad will say something like off the wall or obnoxious or whatever. And Jen, you just, completely bypass <laughs> it. Like, you like, go, yeah. Anyway. We didn't need any of that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and then yeah. you go into something else.
0: Although sometimes I'll get Jen in a corner and then you'll just hear.
2: <sighs> no, no. What the best part is, is you can actually hear her eyes burning into you. Yeah. You can actually hear her staring
0: at you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine what it's like sitting in this room with her oh boy yeah um fun
2: time that's the other one that's the oh boy
0: yeah uh, um well thank you for asking about that well as one of our
1: (laughs) dearest and oldest treasured friends (laughs) we love to hear it so thank (laughs) you for that
0: yeah um any anything that you're working on you wanted to, to to bring up or make sure we hit upon
2: no no okay i'm just i'm still working I'll, I'll. i'll hit you guys up five years from now when i get a new book well you're welcome anytime
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely all right um i know we've asked you we've asked you our routine ending questions before so i'll just leave those off the table and just
2: no 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 you gotta ask you want you them ask. all right
0: we'll ask again <laughs> maybe there's new answers all right um okay so um josh what are you doing these days uh for fun how are you how are you reconnecting with yourself? Um, what do you like to do to just disconnect and, and be with yourself? You can't say masturbating. (laughs)
2: Not (laughs) Not a damn thing. No. Um, uh, you know, I'm not good with fun. Uh, when I, when I, when I, when I allow myself to have fun, I immediately, uh, turn around and be like, you know, you're not working hard enough. You need to get back to work. Um, so fun for me is a minimum. I'm always working. Even when I'm having fun, I'm like, can, can this be a poem? Can this be a story? Um, but besides that, I do like to take my walks at the Quabbin. Um, I do that almost daily. Um, I, uh, I don't watch a lot of TV. Um, um, and usually when I do, I fall asleep within 15 minutes. <laughs> um, but I, you know, because it's October, um, uh, last year I bought the complete, um, Twilight Zone Ooh, series. Oh, nice. So nice. I've been, uh, watching all the old Twilight Zones and, um, there's this other, I, I guess it's, I mean, I watch it through Discovery Plus Plus. But there's also this show called, uh, um, I can't remember what it's called, Um, Unsolved, not Unsolved Mysteries, but um, um, I can't remember the damn show, Um, but it's like they have like these home videos of like actually like UFOs or home videos of these strange things, strange evidence. That's what it's called.
0: Strange evidence. Um,
2: yeah it's a great show and um uh, and then um and then they try to explain what's actually going on in the video and sometimes they can explain it and sometimes they can't but i watched that um but that's really about it
0: i love it yeah um i love i used to love that stuff um that's what c- that's what ignited my interest in the paranormal when I was a child. Like, um, that the 70s TV show, um, In Search of, that was narrated by um Spock, there, Leonard Nimoy.
2: Nimoy, yeah. yeah. Do
0: you remember that show?
2: I do remember that, yeah. And Ripley's Believe It or Not,
0: yes, Ripley. that one too, yep. And yeah. then, and then in the 80s, Unsolved Mysteries, you mentioned it with Robert yeah. Stack. I loved that show, yeah. all right. Um, Okay, that's going to lead us to our last question, um, and I know you know what it is, so you've he, <laughs> he, been probably preparing for this. Um, uh, what have you experienced that you cannot explain?
2: Um, well, a couple of months ago, if you asked, I, would, I wouldn't have an answer, but now I do. So um, this one might have been a month ago now. I was, I, like I said, I take my, my walks at the Quabbin, at the Windsor Dam, which I know some listeners won't know that, but it's it's a dam, it's a park. And I went there around eight o'clock in the morning. I do my hour and a half um, walk and um, n- nothing, nothing eventful happened. Um, sometimes I saw a moose there. I have come face to face with a bear there, um, porcupines, um, but that day nothing. And I was driving home on Route Nine, and um, and I was where, and I turned down what is called Anderson Road. But before I do that, there's this farm and these high weeds. And all of a sudden, maybe twenty feet in front of my car, maybe a little more, this thing came out of the uh, out of the weeds, crossing the roads. And at first, when I first saw it, I was like, "Oh, that's um, uh, a coyote." And the only reason why I thought a coyote was because coyotes have crossed in front of my car numerous times. And I'm like, "Oh, wait, that's not a that's not a." canine that that's a cat oh wow! and i'm like oh so i'm like oh bobcat and then i'm like why does it have a long tail why does it have very short hair why does it stand two feet tall why is it about three and a half feet long and then by time it crossed the road i realized i was looking at a mountain lion wow man and I could i I could not believe it and 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 you know how like bobcats have what they call that that square head yeah and they have that tufts did not have that had what is called um what I call like like a like a like a like a, a scully skull where the skin is really tight around the skull um had those um, those, um, like those mountain lion ears. Um, the fur was, was like, um, it was like a reddish brown and it was short hair. You know, Bobcats have like a shaggy coat. Yeah, This was short hair. You could see every muscle on it. And, um, like I was freaking out. I was like, I can't believe I just saw a fucking mountain lion. And so I got home and I I called the The wildlife people and I'm like, I saw a mountain lion. I'm not lying. I swear to God. (laughs) And and they're like, well, did you take pictures of it? I'm like, no. I was driving, and it's not like it sent me a text the day before, being like, (laughs) hey, (laughs) down at the farms, can you make sure you got your camera ready? So I'm like, no. And they're like, well, we'll we'll make a note of it. And um. We'll tell our biologists, and if they want to contact you, they will. Well, they never did. But I was, of course, I of course I told everyone. I was, you know, I was like that guy who got um anal probed by the aliens. I'm like, yeah. it's real, I swear <laughs> to
0: God. You know? Yeah. <laughs>
2: and uh one of my friends her, so um, okay, this is what they know factual. There hasn't been a mountain lion sighting in Massachusetts since 1858.
0: Oh wow! Did, like a confirmed one?
2: A confirmed, yeah. One. They they were they were ex- they were exterminated by 1858. However, in 1997, at the Quabbin Reservoir, they found scat. That they knew didn't belong to a deer. It didn't belong to a bear or anything. And when they tested the DNA, it came back as mountain lion. Wow. So, and, and you could look this, you can all look this all up online in 2012, something like that in that area. A mountain lion was struck and killed on a highway in Connecticut.
0: Yeah, I I do remember that not too far from here, right?
2: Yeah, I can't remember exactly where in um, Connecticut was, but it it could have been, it might have been like Enfield or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And they said that mountain lion traveled all the way from South Dakota. Yeah. That sounds like baloney to me.
0: No, that's what, no, they, they knew it traveled from oh they knew it yeah
2: yeah yeah so but i mean it's weird like why would it travel all that way but now the other thing i i heard and this i is you know those those things are facts but this is what i heard from um a friend of mine their daughter works for the wildlife agency in massachusetts and she was telling her mother That when she first got her job, that they told her, you're, you know, you're going to get a lot of reports that of sightings of mountain lions. And they said, unless there are videos or photographs, completely ignore them. Wow. Don't even. And she said, the reason being is, is if they. If they come out publicly stating that there is indeed a population of mountain lions in Massachusetts again, a whole shitload of federal laws and regulations go into effect, which they don't have the finances or the manpower to enforce. So it's in their best interest to ignore it.
0: Interesting. Not to mention the panic it's going to cause in people. Like recently- I think they wanted to relocate like ten rattlesnakes to some island in the Quabbin, and like
2: Rattlesnake Island.
0: Yeah, and people went crazy. You know, right? Abs- the, the population absolutely went crazy. Like everybody the snakes
1: are going to everybody swim was against us. The
0: yeah, Quabin. they were afraid the snakes were going to well, le- leave the Quabbin and go into their yards and attack their children.
2: Well, I th- I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure like there is Rattlesnake Island in the Quabbin. Yeah, it's called Rattlesnake Island because it is a sanctuary for the uh, eastern rattlesnakes.
0: Yeah. yeah, could you imagine though what would happen if um, suburban parents around here found out that there were mountain lions all over the place?
2: Right. Well, there's that, but it's also I, what I worry about is all the assholes who are like, I'm going to get my shotgun and get me a mountain lion. Yeah. Those are yeah. the ones I worry about. Yeah. Um, Well, you know what? The the thing was, was when he crossed over, he went into that farm. Um, I mean, you guys have probably driven past it. It's called the, oh, shoot. I can't remember the name of it now. But, you know, you see the red barn and all that. It's right as you're coming yeah. into where... And I'm and I'm like, oh, the, the mountain lion might be going after cats. And then I'm like, well, they might have small kids. They might have small kids or grandkids. So I ended up calling um, the lady who owns the farm. Oh, wow. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, you don't know me. I'm just, a, you know, I live in the same town. But I was like, I just felt obligated to call you and tell you that I saw a mountain lion. uh go into your um into your property so just be aware. And she actually told me that they they actually it's not a working farm anymore. They just do um antiques there. So it wasn't going after any cattle cuz they don't have any anymore. Mm. But um um so mountain lions uh, I just I was just like yeah, I just felt obligated and um all I can say is, um, unlike you, Brett, I am not. Um, I don't believe. Well, I know there are UFOs. Whether they're UFOs that have little green men in them, yeah. I, I, I I doubt. I I don't. I don't buy into Bigfoot or any. <laughs> I don't. Poor Galactus. Poor dreams.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm dying. Yeah. <laughs> but
2: I. But I know what I saw. Yeah, and I and it was no bobcat and it was no kitty cat. It was um, I saw a mountain lion. I mean, and it was broad daylight. It was nine thirty in the morning. I didn't start drinking yet. Uh, <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs>
0: wow. Um, well, th- thanks. That's for, all I can say about it. Yeah, thanks for sharing that uh, with us. And I don't, I don't put it past it being a real possibility. Uh, you know, and I for. You know, I sort of buy into the reasons you expressed about uh, authorities not wanting to admit that they might mm-hmm. know about a reproducing population here, you know? Right. Um, you know, they used to be here. They were all over the fucking place here at one time. There's plenty of food here. We've got way too many deer. Like, it it mm-hmm. all adds up. Yeah. It all adds up. all adds up. All right. Joshua Michael Stewart. Um author musician Musician. friend lover sometimes (laughs) um um, thank you for joining us um we really thank you for having yeah we really appreciate um you taking the time to come on here and chat with us um so thank you so much uh listeners um please uh support um josh's work um by going and buying one or more of his books. Definitely go buy Love Something. Um, You can go to his website, uh, joshuamichaelstuart.com. Check out all the things. Yep. um, We'll put the link in the show notes. Um, The link to his Facebook page is there, his Instagram profile, his Twitter. It's all in there, okay? And you can connect with um, Joshua at all of those places, okay? Uh, Yes, please do. And you can also check out our website, softservepodcast.com. You can see some of the the episodes we have featured on there. You can learn more about Jen and I, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, Anything else?
1: We do have a donate button.
0: We have a donate button. If you want to throw some (laughs) bucks our ways, that's fine too. Um, But, you know. You
1: can also just leave us a review.
0: Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Send us
1: a message.
0: Send us a message. If you
1: want to be a guest on our podcast,
0: you got it. You're covering all the bases. Please let us know. Yep. We'd um, love to talk to you. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've got well over 200 episodes at this point. So if you're just discovering us, you can dig back into our catalog and um, hear
1: the negative episodes. Yep.
0: You can hear me be <laughs> mean to Jen, <laughs> hear Jen be mean to me, hear us love each other, all of that stuff. All this stuff. It's all the fun, fun, stuff. fun. fun. Okay.
1: Lighten up and enjoy.
0: Yep. All right. Well, we're going to go around and say goodbye now in our own, whatever way we all deem fit for ourselves. Um, let's start with our our honored guest, Josh. Um, I'm going to turn it over to you to say goodbye.
2: Okay. Uh, thanks for having me and uh, goodbye.
0: All right. I love it. Stomping Jen. Adios. All right. You're back to adios. <laughs> I love it. I love adios. Okay. Um. Uh, everybody, uh, we do love you and, uh, bye now.
2: This world of ours ever growing smaller must avoid becoming a community of dreadful fear and hate. Those who have freedom will understand also its heavy
0: responsibility that all who are insensitive to the needs of others will learn charity, and that the sources, scourges of poverty, disease, and ignorance will be made disappear from the earth.
2: And that in the goodness of time, all peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed by the binding force of mutual respect and love and. <laughs> I shall never cease to do what little I can to help the world advance along that road.